and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. And Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never thirst. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, and you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who's speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. And they were astonished that Jesus was speaking with the woman. But no one said to her, what do you want? Or to Jesus Why are you speaking with her? And then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever have done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And so the disciples said to one another, Surely no one's brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. And I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from the city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. And so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard him for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1056. John's Gospel, chapter 4, and beginning at verse 5. And this morning I want to talk about the spiritual potential of an authentic conversation. The spiritual potential of an authentic conversation. In fact, Jesus converses a lot in the Gospels. Sometimes he converses with individuals, sometimes like with Nicodemus, as we saw last week in chapter 3. Sometimes he has conversations with groups of people, small groups of people. Sometimes when he's having a conversation with an individual or some small group of individuals, there's others who are present who are listening to what he's saying and what they're saying in response. And then sometimes uh, that's not the case as it is here in our reading today. It's, it's just Jesus and the woman. I thought that perhaps it was Jesus who told the disciples how the conversation goes, but this woman kept on telling the story over and over and over again, and they were there for two days. I don't suppose they needed Jesus to tell them, because she told them how the conversation went. But whatever the case, whenever Jesus is engaged in conversation, he's always himself. He's always authentic. What you see is what you get. And with Jesus, there's never any hidden agenda or self-serving motive. Indeed, whenever Jesus engages in conversation, he talks clearly and openly about what matters to him, which are also things that ought to matter to us, I suppose, because the things that he talks about affect all of us. And that's the kind of conversation that Jesus has with this woman of Samaria. Now, to get the context as we have it in our text, we need to back up just a bit 
If you have your Bible, notice chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, And Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. They were in Jerusalem in the city in chapter 3. They had, Jesus had this conversation with a member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And then they went from the city and they went out into the countryside. And chapter 3 and verse 22 says, And he remained there with the disciples and was baptizing. Then we come to chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, And now when Jesus heard that the Pharisees had heard that he, Jesus, was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and then there's a parenthetical thought and an explanation, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples did, and that was very traditional. In fact, that Peter would do it later and say, These people need to be baptized, baptize them. Paul did the same and even mentions it in his letter to the Corinthians. But then verse 3, because Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than, than, he, than John was, which sounds like a good thing, but it isn't good if the Pharisees are taking exception to it. Verse 3, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. Judea's in the south, the Galilee's in the north, the Galilee's where he's from. Verse 4, and he had to, which is an interesting expression, he had to pass through Samaria. Now that last sentence is interesting because uh, some Jews, in, in, in fact, regularly traveled, when they were traveling from Judea to, to the Galilee or vice versa, they deliberately went around Samaria. And that was because of the contempt that they had for the Samaritans, like this woman in our story. And so when John says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, it, would, it, would, it seems that he's not making a geographical reference, but perhaps a spiritual reference, that Jesus had to go through Samaria on his way from Judea to the Galilee because he had some important work that he had to do there. Which then brings us to our text chapter 4 and beginning at verse 5. And so Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob, the patriarch Jacob, had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6, and Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus wearied from his journey because he's on the road walking. There was no uh, Uber then. Jesus wearied from his journey. He was sitting beside the well, probably on the curb there around the well. And it was about the sixth hour. In ancient Jewish rendering, that would be noon. Six in the morning, the sun begins to rise. Six in the evening, just 12 days, 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of dark. That's basically. And when the sun was at its highest point in the sky, that was noon. And so it was the hottest part of the day with the sun at its highest spot in the sky. And John continues in verse 7, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now customarily in the ancient Near East, women would go and fetch water in the evening at the end of the day when the sun was going down because it wasn't so hot. But this woman comes alone, and usually the women would go together. It was a bit of a sort of a time for socializing as well as collecting the water that they needed for their families back in the village. But this woman comes alone at the worst part of the day, perhaps uh, to avoid coming in contact with the other women in the town. And we'll have more to say about that in a moment. 
And John says in verse 8, and Jesus said to her, because she came to the, and he was there at the well, he said, give me a drink. And there's a parenthetical point there in verse 8, uh, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So he's all alone. Verse 9, and John says, and the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, because she's surprised that he would even speak with her, how is it that you, you a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And as John comments, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In fact, they would go way out of their way and make their journey worse. They would cross over the Jordan to the east and travel all the way up on the east side of the Jordan and then cross it again, which is no piece of cake, just to stay away from Samaria when they were moving from Judea or traveling from Judea to the Galilee. These people couldn't stand the Samaritans. They thought they were unclean. They were part Jew and part Gentile and so on. We won't go into the, deals, the details of that. But they held them in regular contempt. And so this woman is surprised. Perhaps this is the first time in her life a Jew ever said anything to her or even came within proximity of her person. But John says, verse 10, and Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, this is where things start to get interesting. But the whole encounter started by Jesus in a very simple and very community, communal kind of way. Just, you know, I'm a human being and so are you. Give me a drink. He starts the conversation by supposing that she can do something for him. This reminded me of something that Rebecca Manley Prippert wrote in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. She wrote this. She says, I'm continually amazed as I engage in evangelism how profoundly I am blessed. It's not an experience in which I only have something to give and nothing to receive. It's not a situation in which other, the other person is changed and I remain the same. The truth is I am am as affected by the encounter with the other person as the other person is sometimes affected by me. This is mutuality. <laughs> or at least starting as the starting place. Not I'm better than you and I have something to give you, but I have something and it's so good I'd like to share it with you. And maybe it can affect you the way it's affected me. She says, as I engage in evangelism, I find it's not only the other person who finds his or her needs met. My needs are also met. <laughs> Indeed, God's intention in evangelism is to bless us both. When you read about Jesus in the Gospels, I get the impression he rather likes talking to people. Even people like this woman, in fact, you remember that Jesus was criticized on a regular basis for, for seeming to like the company of the riffraff. 
but he was able to have meaningful conversations with them because they weren't hypocrites. <laughs> but anyways, this whole conversation starts by Jesus asking the woman to give him a drink. But the woman balks because Jesus is a Jew and she's a Samaritan and she understands all of that. But as John says, verse 10, Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying, if you knew who I was, who's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Well, we know that the gift of God is Jesus. In fact, we just read about that in the third chapter. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus is the gift that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the water here, although Jesus isn't tipping his hand and the woman is not understanding exactly what he's saying, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. We know that because we've read the whole Gospel of John. And so when we come, and I expect that when he spent two days there, he maybe went into some detail after he really got all of their attention about what he's really referring to. Beyond the metaphor. But in chapter 7, Jesus tips his hand and says exactly what he's talking about. In chapter 7 and verse 37, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, if anyone has a need, a thirst, a hunger, but here a thirst, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the, scriptures has, has, the Scripture has said, out of his heart, out of the heart of the believer, will flow rivers of living water. And John says in verse 39, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe were to receive. So that's what Jesus is talking about. But the woman doesn't understand, and we can understand why she might not understand. She's, she thinks that Jesus is talking only about physical water. Notice verse 11, and the woman said to Jesus, Well, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than the patriarch, our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, and Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Now that's something she could understand because she had to come every day to get water. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give, namely the Holy Spirit, will never thirst again. The water that I will give will become in him or her a spring of water welling up, gushing up to eternal life. And John says, verse 15, the woman said, oh, that sounds pretty good. All right, well, so, so give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty and have to come here and draw water anymore. So the, the, the woman is still doesn't understand. She's still thinking in terms of physical water. And she's thinking that Jesus is offering her a mere convenience. Well, wouldn't it be nice if I was never thirsty again or that I never had to come draw water here and avoid the crowds and so on in the heat of the day? Well, she's not getting it, so John changes the conversation just slightly. Or Jesus does, excuse me. Indeed, John says that Jesus said to her, well, go call your husband and come here. Well, that was an interesting question to ask, especially 
given the course of this conversation, but you've had conversations, and conversations often go like this, don't they? And the woman said to Jesus, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you're now with is not your husband. And so, well, that's true. And so this is perhaps one of the reasons why she was going out in the middle of the day to avoid the other women of the village, because she was considered by them and perhaps others in the village to be an immoral woman. But obviously Jesus is happy enough to look past all of that and have a conversation with her. He doesn't seem to mind that she's a Samaritan. And he wasn't scandalized by her past or even her present situation, about which he appears to know everything. <laughs> which leads to the woman saying in verse 19, and I think this is one of the funniest verses in all of the scripture. She says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Yeah, now you're getting it. He's not just some Jew asking you for water, and you're wondering why he would, since he's a Jew and you're a Samaritan. Something else deeper and higher and broader is going on here. And this man to whom I'm talking is someone greater than maybe I perceived just moments ago. But she starts into a religious uh, conversation now because she's just talking about drawing water from wells. Now she goes all theological on Jesus. I mean, that's the kind of conversation that you have, right, with, uh, with a prophet, you know. And that's what people do with priests sometimes, you know. Well, what do I talk to him about? Like, you know, I don't put my pants on one leg at a time or something like that. Usually when they figure out, I, or I may be mentioned in the course of uh, the conversation that I ride a Harley and that sort of thing, then they go, oh, well, this guy's okay. And, but, 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 uh, so she starts talking to him about uh, religious things. He, she says, our fathers, that is her, 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 the Samaritans, the, the leaders of her community worship on this mountain. And she was referring to Mount Gerizim, which would have been in, which would have been um, visible from where they were. And the, the Samaritans uh, had built a, a, a temple on Mount Gerizim, it was destroyed in the, in the second century BC, but, and they continue to worship on that mountain. But she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but, but you, the Jews, you, you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus rejoined her, verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. You have some knowledge, but you don't know what we know. You, you never paid attention to the prophets that came after, after the Pentateuch. In fact, that was the only scriptures that the, that the Samaritans made use of, was the first five books of the Bible, sometimes referred to as the, the books of Moses or as the Pentateuch, the Torah. And so they, there was lots of information that came after through the prophets and so forth that they were, was not a, a regular part of their spiritual diet. And so she, Jesus says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. In fact, Jesus is a Jew. Verse 23, but the hour is coming. Notwithstanding all of that, Jesus is saying. 
The hour is coming and now is here. It's here because he's here. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what's important, to worship God in spirit and in truth. You mentioned locations. This is what really matters, is that you worship God in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such people, people, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, to worship Him. And this is what Jesus was offering the woman, the Holy Spirit, that she might worship God in the Spirit's power and under His influence and in keeping with the whole truth of God. And the truth was sitting right in front of her. And that wherever, wherever she may worship with God's people, it didn't matter, for God is everywhere, Jesus says, for his presence is not limited to one particular location. Indeed, as Jesus continues in verse 24, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, maybe she was having some doubts. She's going back to what she knows, and she says, well, I know that when the Messiah comes, who's called the Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us everything. He'll tell us the whole truth. Verse 26, and Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> the Messiah you've been told to wait for, and the one you are waiting for, you're looking right into his eyes. Verse 27, John says, and then about that time, the disciples came back. They'd gone to get food. Now they're back at the well. And they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman. Rabbis didn't do that. Rabbis didn't talk to women. They certainly didn't talk to Samaritans, not Jewish rabbis. In fact, they didn't even talk to Jews that they didn't think were worthy to hear them. There wasn't even a, a message of damnation because they wouldn't bother with you. But here, Jesus is doing something they'd never seen before in their lives. And so they marveled that she was, that he was talking with the woman, but they were apparently too afraid to, to, to say to her, well, what are you looking for? What do you want? What do you seek? And then maybe to Jesus, well, what are you talking to her for? They don't say any of that. They just, you ever do that? You don't say it? It's just all up here? Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar. That's interesting, right? Man, she's so taken up with what she's been talking to, talking to Jesus about. She, she's even forgotten why she was there in the first place. <laughs> you might have thought, well, you might have, might have thought that maybe she would say, well, Jesus, let me draw the water. Because, you know, I don't want to make two trips. Right? And, 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 but she, water pot, what, she just left it there. It's not on her mind. And so the woman left her water jar and she went into the town and said to the people, come and see. Now she's talking to them. You see that? She's, she's, she's not even afraid. She doesn't even care what they're thinking. She is so taken up with what she has experienced by this Jewish prophet who's 
said he was the Messiah. I don't even, who never even got up off the curb. <laughs> that she just goes in and she starts telling people. It says that, that she, she said to the people of the town, verse 29, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but he told her enough to, to at least make her think, well, if he knows that, well, what else does he know? By the way, Jesus knows all about you. And he knows all about me. In fact, that came to came a great comfort to me some years ago when I realized that. That I'm exactly who he knows me to be. And he redeems me just as I am. I'm Scott Thompson. And I, where I was born and what my history was and what I've experienced and what I struggle with still. He knows all about it. And yet he loves me. And he uses me as broken as I am, just like he uses you or can use you. Why? Well, we're all broken. So all the tools he uses are broken. But he knew all about her. And so verse 30, so they, they said, wow, man, what's gotten into her? And so they're impressed. Jesus impressed her. She impresses them. In fact, as we read on, it would seem that, that they believed what she said because they were so impacted by her witness. So, verse 30, they went out of the town and they were coming to him, coming to Jesus. Let's go to the well and see this. Meanwhile, verse 31, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat, 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 eat. You know, we've been walking and tra so here's the food. That's why we went into town, man. Eat the food. But Jesus said to them, I had, interesting, Jesus confuses everybody. By the way, if you're confused sometime, join the club. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And then verse 33, the disciples started to say to one another, what? Has somebody brought him something to eat? Maybe they should have brought us something to eat. And then we wouldn't have had to make the trip. Have it delivered. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I find satisfaction. I feel all filled up when I do what he sent me to do and to accomplish his work. That's something to keep in mind when you're fasting. <laughs> that you just do what God calls you to do. In fact, I've been fasting lately, and I found out uh, around the time that Lent began, somebody, I, I, in fact, he was a young boy when he was in my junior church class back in the early to mid-80s. Anyway, I moved away. I haven't lived in California since the mid-80s. But uh, anyway, he's a grown man now, and, and, um, but he was about... 25, 30 years ago in a terrible accident. I, I'm not sure if it was a motorcycle accident or, or whatever, but he became a paraplegic and has been for decades. And he has this terrible nerve pain that just would drive anyone out of their mind and it just never stops. And so I found out that there was people back home and they were going to be, in fact, one little group were going to have a 24-hour fast and praying for Ricky. His name is Rick. I knew him as Ricky. 
And so as, as we go through Lent and I'm fasting various days, when I feel hungry, I pray for Ricky. <laughs> and I'm filled with joy, kind of like what I'm filled right now. <laughs> right? Because I have food that you don't know about. <laughs> as Jesus said. Then Jesus continues, verse 35. And then now he's, he's drawing them, he's drawing them into what's going on. He's engaged in spiritual work in the, in the midst of God's kingdom orchard. God's vineyard, God's wheat field. Seeds are being sown and the harvest is coming. So he says to them, he says, verse 35, and do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? So you plant the seeds and then you wait for four months. And then comes the harvest. And then he says, now look. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Perhaps a reference to the villagers who now have gotten close enough from the village on their way to the, to the well, and they can be seen on the road, and there's the woman leading them. Look, I tell you, and lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages. You're going to be the reapers. You're going to help with this. Already the reaper is receiving wages and gathering the fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. I sowed the seed in her. She sowed the seed in them. And you are going to join us and bring this all to a close that leads to eternal life. Verse 37, therefore, the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Verse 38, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. You were off getting food. <laughs> Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And John says, verse 39, and many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. They're just going out there to confirm what they're already persuaded of in their heart. Because she said, he told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, and when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he, he said, sure. And he stayed for two days. Anathema! He's going to stay with them? And most religious Jews would have gone out of their way, not even to step foot on the land, on the dirt that's called Samaria. And he stays with them for two days. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we've heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed must be. This indeed is the Savior of the world. And what's amazing to me in all of this is all of this started by Jesus asking a woman for a drink of water. Give me a drink. Because that's what she, he needed. And so he asks her for what she can give to him. 
knowing all the time also that he has something for her to drink should the conversation turn in that direction. <laughs> that's, you, that's how you do evangelism. Just start a conversation. Lots of times these conversations happen for me on the plane. And sometimes not. I'll, I'm generally looking for some. I notice, and I'm not thinking, and now I'm going to bring in the harvest. <laughs> what I'm looking for is the possibility of having a meaningful conversation. Because I know that an authentic conversation has much spiritual potential. Sometimes people will indicate you, to you very, very clearly. They, they are not interested in talking. So that's when I sleep from Houston to Oakland. <laughs> And I get a nice rest. And I say, well, thank you, Lord. A nice rest. I'll take whatever you give. At other times, the conversations are extraordinary. And they start off with one particular thing. Usually I'm trying to, I'm noticing something that, oh, what are you reading? Or, or whatever. Are you going, are you, are you coming or going? Are you going to Oakland? Or are you just to visit or whatever? But it's because people matter and because a real, genuine conversation has spiritual potential, that's why we do it. Alistair McGrath, in his book, How Shall We Reach Them, wrote this. He said, the real reason for evangelism is generosity. <laughs> the basic human desire to share something precious and satisfying with those who matter to us. <laughs> and this woman mattered to him. <laughs> Hopefully the person on the plane matters to you. I was talking, uh, I think, with the staff or somebody else. Uh, sometimes I'll sit on, on the plane, and as the people come, I just pray God's blessing. Lord, bless the guy in the blue hat. I don't know what's, what's going on with him, but bless him and make him a blessing. You've probably heard that before. Have you heard that before? To bless Because I assume that God can do something through him too. I don't know who he is. And if he's not usable now, he could be made usable. The reason for evangelism is generosity, the basic desire to share something precious and satisfying with those who matter to us. And the beauty of the, the evangelism model that Jesus models for us is that it's natural and authentic. All you have to do to get started is say, may I have a drink? Indeed, what Jesus talks about to the woman at the well is something that is all in him. It fills his heart. And this is critical. If we ourselves would engage in authentic conversations with others, we must understand that the full potential lies in what we bring to that conversation. Howard Hendricks put it this way, you can't impart to others what you don't possess yourself. The key to effective evangelism is being redeemed yourself. <laughs> to being excited about what God is doing in your life. Indeed, as Donald Soper put it, Christ must mean everything to us before he can mean anything to someone else. And so perhaps that's the real question. Who is Jesus to you? And does he mean so much to you that you'd be willing to converse with someone else about him? The spiritual potential 
of an authentic conversation. Let us pray. Change us, Lord. Impact our lives. So much so that uh, maybe we kind of forget some of the other things that were such a, you know, such a trial. We'll forget the water jar. <laughs> because um, we're so taken up with what you're doing with us. And that compels us. Like usually other things do. Like when our team wins. We can't wait to tell someone else. Or a child uh, is accepted at college, or, or we get a new job, or we're going to get married, or the stock market is up on my stock, <laughs> whatever, or a delicious meal at a restaurant we've never tried before. We talk about those things because they're exciting to us. And when you are making an impact, and we're thinking, and we're engaging, and we're being changed, and we're abiding in his teaching, as he said, a true disciple does, then we have something to share. Not because there's great pressure to do it, but when we reach out, we know in authenticity that there is great spiritual potential in such a conversation. Help us to recognize these things, Lord. Help us to reflect them and help us to do them for your glory and for our joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.